0: Hi, my name is Jean-Paul Baran, president of Focus on the Family Canada. As we approach the end of 2021, I'm grateful that Focus was able to help thousands of families navigate this challenging year. Looking to 2022, I'm excited for the many opportunities ahead to share the love of Christ and to help families thrive. Will you consider a year-end donation to help us reach even more families? And right now, your gift can be doubled. To donate, visit focusonthefamily.ca. Dr. Lee Warren describes the intensive care unit as a place where desperation and hope slug it out to see who the champion will be. He says that beeping monitors, hissing ventilators, and humming IV pumps push their notes into the air, mingling with the steel hints of iodine and bodily fluids and waning faith. Today on Focus on the Family, you'll hear from Dr. Warren about his own personal struggles with God through many trials in the hospital and also outside it. He'll offer hope to you to endure through your trials today. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, what
1: a vivid and accurate uh, depiction of the ICU ward, something that Dr. Warren faces every day in treating his patients. Uh, Dr. Warren was our guest on a broadcast earlier this year that really spoke to our listeners and our viewers. It was one of our top programs of the year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Warren has operated on deadly tumors and people with serious brain injuries as a surgeon. Before starting his practice in Nebraska, he helped to triage seriously wounded uh, soldiers in Iraq. He's also experienced trauma in his personal life, and we're going to cover some of his amazing stories in his award-winning book, I've Seen the End of You. He's already faced more life-and-death situations than most of us will face in our lifetime. But God has given him the strength to do it, and we can grow spiritually as we glean from his
0: stories about how fragile life truly is. Mm -hmm. And this was such a deep conversation about the essence of life and death. And as you said, Jim, Dr. Warren's book was the winner of the Christian Book Award for Biographies and Memoirs. So congratulations to Dr. Warren for that. The title again is, I've Seen the End of You, A Neurosurgeon's Look at Faith, doubt, and the things we think we know. We'll encourage you to get a copy of that book from us here at focusonthefamily.ca or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. Well, let's go ahead and join the start of the conversation with Dr. Lee Warren on today's Best of 2021 Focus on the Family broadcast.
1: Dr. Warren, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you. I'm so uh, grateful. Lisa and I are both so
2: grateful to be here with
1: you today. Let me ask you, uh, kicking this off, this is uh, really interesting content, um, and we're going to get into it. You were raised in a Christian home. Uh, your parents gave you that foundation of faith, but you had a relationship with a friend, I think, in elementary school that kind of shook and shaped your world. What happened?
2: Yes, yeah, so I, I don't think I realized it until later, but. Um, in uh, third and fourth grade had a young girl that was I had sort of had a crush on. Uh, I called her Annie in the book. And you were in fourth uh, grade? Four, third and fourth grade, yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. for you. And so I actually had my first fist fight over her, right? <laughs> which I won't tell you if I won or not, but it's my book. so um, <laughs> Get the book for more. <laughs> but so she, she, at the end of one school year, uh, I, I just had this vivid memory of her driving off in the bus and you know, waving goodbye. And, you know, my hopes were flying, you know, for seeing her next year. And then later that summer, my mom told me that she was sick and she might not be back at school. Um, and it turned out she had a, a pediatric brain tumor, and I remember late in the school year she came back to class and, and just looked like a different person. She didn 't have her personality; she was, was swollen from what I know now was you know steroids and medication and radiation treatment and all that. She had sure. a wig on mm-hmm. and just wasn 't the same little kid um, yeah. and then she died later that year oh. um, and you know as i as I grew up and became a doctor and looked back on all that it, it just dawned on me at some point that my interest in neurosurgery probably started around that time when yeah. when um a little kid can be taken away from you by something happening in their brain yeah. uh, and i remember the talks i had with my mom uh, and how afraid i was that you know for the first time Somebody my age could be sick, and I didn't know that at that time. Somebody my age could die, and uh, I remember how Mom always told me that you know faith would get me through those things and, and calm my fears. and And so I think that was probably a foundational moment for me in, in becoming a physician and maybe even a neurosurgeon.
1: Yeah, let's move to your service. Thank you, by the way, for serving in the military. And Thank you. at the same time, I mean, you saw such trauma because mm-hmm. you saw all of the back end of warfare. Those Men and perhaps even some women who were injured yep. from their service. And uh, describe that for those of us who will never be in that environment. Um, one of the most surprising
2: things for me. Um, Obviously, growing up in the United States and practicing in the United States, we have endless, limitless resources, right? So here we are in a tent hospital in the middle of the war, and we didn't have those resources. Um, and so we had to think about every drop of blood and every tool that we used and all those things differently than we do back here. Um, but also, we took care of civilians, and we took care of the enemy, and you know, we took care of injured insurgents. So when, when a when a, uh, an Iraqi insurgent gets injured on the battlefield, American medics fly them to hospitals and take care of them that's too. amazing yeah. most people probably don't know that and so um our american medical corps takes care of everybody that gets hurt and so for me it was uh an eye-opening experience of taking care of somebody who had done this bad thing and blown up all of our soldiers that we were also trying to save and having to learn about mercy and not just about justice and mm-hmm. and all those things that it was a. Uh, it really solidified me as a trauma surgeon and as a, as a human being, I think, to have that experience. So.
1: And even there, in in your barracks in that area where you operated, you had shelling and things that were going on. I mean, it was close to the action.
2: Yeah, we were mortared every single day that I was in theater for 120 days. We, we took
1: mortars. Every in, day? Every day, yeah. You specialize in brain tumors. GBM, I believe, is the yep. acronym. And let's just let the listeners here what that is, and what you tend to face with your patients every day. So, there's a brain tumor called glioblastoma multiform that we shorten,
2: thankfully, to GBM. is easier to say. And it turns out to be the deadliest, really, the deadliest form of human cancer. And the problem with glioblastoma is you really can't cure it. And it's like the whole brain just decides to become cancer. Mm. And so for the last 40 years or so, the survival rate really hasn't changed. It's about 15 months. If you have that diagnosis and we take the tumor out and give you radiation chemotherapy, you have about 12 to 15 months uh, almost all the time. The five-year survival rate is very close to zero. And the 10-year survival rate essentially is zero. There's an old sort of joke that if you have a 10-year survivor, you probably misdiagnosed them. And so um, I had this experience as as a Christian who was also a scientist where I would see a scan. Really, before I ever met you as a patient, I would look at your images and see that brain tumor, and I would say to myself, I've seen the end of you. I know what's going to happen to you.
1: Say that again, because this was profound. Mm-hmm. I'll see I, the end of you. Yeah,
2: I, I just could see it in my mind like it was a movie playing out. I, I, I've seen the end. I know what's going to happen. I know what the biopsy's going to look like. I know the conversation we're about to have. I know what the pathologist is going to tell me. I know when you're, when you're going to get chemo, when you're going to get sick, when your hair's going to fall out, when you'll stop eating. I know when it's going to come back, and I know when you're going to die. And I can see it in my mind like it's true already. Yeah. And so... I struggled then because I also know that as a doctor, you are better serving your patients if you give them hope and if you help them maintain hope because you have a higher, much higher quality of life and you go through everything better and you even have a better outcome in every way we can measure it if you maintain hope. And so here I have a situation where I don't have hope for you and the Bible tells me God can cure you and I don't really believe it because he never does it with this tumor And so I'm supposed to sit down and try to doctor you even if I can't cure you, and what do I do? And that's really the question I was struggling with as a physician when I decided to write this book.
1: Mm -hmm. And I would think, uh, you know, being a man of faith and a scientist, the reality is this life is just this moment That's right. for us. I mean, there's something eternal ahead. But we cling to this as if this is it, right? That's right. And that's why we have fear and we have doubt and we maybe have hopelessness. That's right. And that's the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> that there's something beyond this. That's right. This isn't it. Let me ask you uh, just to get some of the stories of your patients out of your wonderful book, I've Seen the End of You. You talk about a patient that you called Samuel. Yeah. And what was his story with GBM and what did you see?
2: So, Samuel is the guy that, that is the typical patient with glioblastoma. He's a good guy. He does it all right. He's got a strong family. He goes to church. It always seems like cancer hits those guys, right, um, the, the the nice guy. Um, and he's driving to work one day and has a seizure on his birthday, wrecks his car, or almost wrecks his car, and finds out that he's got a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I come to meet him and take him to surgery, and it turns out to be a glioblastoma. And, and he's just exemplifies this solid belief in in walking out faith in Jesus Christ where he never wavered. Like, he's sad, he's stressed because he doesn't want to lose his wife, he doesn't want to leave his wife and his little kids, but he never gives up hope. And he's just this beautiful example of what it means to really walk out your faith in Jesus Christ. So that conundrum is bad things do happen to good people, and good things do happen to bad people. And, you know, the rain, the rain falls on all of us. That's right. And so it's just a filter problem that we have. We we, we, we pick out the ones we want to be sad about. We, we don't pay attention to the other ones, But mm. but but everybody has trouble.
1: Uh, Dr. Warren, you mentioned Joey, a patient, a moment ago. I do want to hear his story. What What was Joey about? Uh, what did he show you?
2: Joey might be the favorite person that Lisa and I, Lisa, Lisa ran our office, that we ever took care of. Joey's this guy, typical, um, when you meet him, he's a criminal. He's you know He he was fighting a DEA agent, got hit in the head and knocked out, and skull fracture, bled in his brain. And I had to take him to the operating room, and, and in the midst of the blood clot, there's a brain tumor that he didn't know he had and so that seems like a fortuitous thing for him because he had he not had the head injury from being a bad person right being in a fight with a cop he wouldn't have known he had this benign tumor until it became a cancer most likely so it could have saved his life right um and I give him this news that to me felt like good news. Hey, we found this early stage brain tumor and took it out, so you're gonna be okay most likely. And he's still mad about it. And it turns out Joey's had a bad life. His parents have one of his parents died, the other abandoned him, he's been in jail, he's had all kinds of hard times with drugs and and he's just had a really rough life and he doesn't see anything good out of anything. For him, it's just another example of God hates him or maybe God's not even real and, and um The course of taking care of Joey, um, he had a a grandmother and a sister who never gave up on him and a chaplain who befriended him. And and ultimately, even though his cancer came back, I don't want to give the whole story away. I want people to read the book. (laughs) No, you've got to tell us. But but basically, the, the last year of Joey's life in which his tumor came back, he lost his strength, and he ultimately passed away. He described that as the best year of his life. And the reason was Hmm. he fell in love, he found Jesus, he found hope, he believed he was going to get to see his grandma again when he went to heaven, Hmm. Um, reconciled with his sister, you know, made amends for a lot of the things that he'd been through. And he found the purpose and meaning of his life and found happiness even while he was dying and so it just exemplified the idea that your life is not about the number of your days it's about the quality of your days it's about what you do with them and how you feel during them and he was able to show me how to separate circumstance from emotion and that's that turns out to be the key for how you find happiness and hope no matter what you're going through
0: this focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment
1: Do you have trouble falling asleep at night? After a long day, close your eyes and find a pocket of peace with Pray.com sleep psalms and sleep soundly to the Word of God. Download Pray.com right now, the new prayer and sleep app for Christians. Make prayer your priority and join us in daily prayer. Download Pray.com today. Bring light to your day. Strengthen your spirit with Pray.com's daily prayer. Carry God's light with you. Download
0: Pray.com right now. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. We'll continue now with the balance of our programming.
1: Let me ask you in the book, you specifically talk about that dilemma. You've touched on it, but to be more specific, uh, you would say you, you would see the end of your patient and know what lied ahead for them. And it, it kind of um, put a contradiction in how to pray for your patients. You did. Describe that. I can feel it, but uh, help us. So I used to think
2: that prayer was about telling God what you wanted, and he either said yes or no, and and the more, sort of the score of how many yeses and how many noes was a measure of how much he loved you, right? I sort of thought that, and Mm -hmm. um, and I really learned it from Pastor John, like prayer's not about bending God's will to yours, it's bending your will to his. Mm. And so as I Evolved through learning how to take care of these people who were going to die no matter what I did. um, I learned that helping them come to peace with it, helping them find a new way to look at the rest of the days that they had, uh, a new way to make sure that their families were okay, that their marriages were okay, that their legacy with their kids were okay, was teaching them how to pray a prayer of asking God to fill them with hope, to fill them with a new way to, to see the things they were going through.
1: And so... I was learning how to doctor people when I couldn't save them. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's then you don't have that sense of futility. I would think that's right. That you know, this it gives isn't, you power, right? And there's there is hope at the end of this. Um, after Samuel died, one of your patients, there was a chaplain friend of yours who gave you some great spiritual insight and advice. I think all of us will benefit from that. What did that chaplain say to you?
2: Well, so Pastor John, I called him in the book. Um, just basically help me understand that somebody dying isn't the end of their story. Like you, when you look at the overall number of promises in the Bible, all of them point to hope for a future resurrection, right? And and it can be hard to see truth in those promises when you read one like Romans eight twenty eight, and it says that God can work everything for good. And you say, how can He work? samuel dying and leaving behind two little kids for good how can that be um and he'll say something to me like well now you're gonna for the rest of your life you're gonna doctor people better you're gonna help people see and find hope in the darkest moments of their lives in a better way and that'll turn out to be good that'll turn out to be a good part of samuel's legacy down the road Mm -hmm. and so the chaplain really just helps me to help me to reorient my thinking away from loss means god doesn't care Death means God isn't paying attention or doesn't doesn't want to hear your prayers, and actually, God's always always doing the thing that's good for us in the end, and it's not about how long you live. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. um, some people might be thinking, okay, well, Doctor Warren's a neurosurgeon, uh, even though he went to the war, you know, he's above the fray of life. But you have had it like right in the bullseye. You lost your son. Describe those circumstances, what was going on, Mm. and uh, what happened to your boy. Mm. So Mitchell
2: was this beautiful kid, um, brilliant, witty, fun, loved Jesus. um, But like many teenagers, he had a couple rough years and and got kind of confused about some things. And and we were, as he went off to college, a couple of years where we, we weren't as close as we had been, and he was trying to figure out his own way. and. Um, in uh, July of two thousand and thirteen, um, he started calling more, and we were starting to feel a little bit more hopeful and Then um, our church does this twenty our church in Alabama did this twenty one days of prayer event every start of every school year where you really focused in and prayed for the kids and prayed for your family and all those things and and uh, on the morning of August nineteenth my phone rang and Mitch called and he and we had this long talk, the longest one we'd had in forever, and he said, Dad, I want to come home. I want to get back in school and I realized, you know, where I need to be and what's going on, I had this great hope and and uh, he said he loved me and I said I loved him and it was the last words we ever spoke to each other and on the morning of August twentieth, the prayer that morning was from the youth pastor at the church about praying for your kids and how God was going to give you victory in your in your child's lives and so we were just filled with this immense hope and and uh, later that day yeah, he was stabbed to death. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, and died, and uh, we don't even know the circumstances. The police never really could figure out what happened. Two boys died in that house that night, and they were best friends, and um, we don't really know. And so we, we we were sort of taken from this place where we thought it was all going to be okay, and we've been praying so hard for so long, uh, and it seemed like God was answering our prayers, and then he was gone, and it was just this huge chasm of, mm-hmm. of why would something you know it's one thing if if you didn't think it was going to be okay and something like that happened but it was worse for us i think because we had so much hope right so it felt like god played a trick on us um Mm. and and so i i it was also ironic because i was in the middle of writing this book about how to help people in hard times and and uh, all of a sudden i went from observing them to being one of them and uh uh, that passage when Isaiah says you're in the furnace of suffering, that that's what we were in. And mm-hmm. so um, I really, for a little bit, um, wasn't sure what I believed anymore. And yeah. um, I just wasn't sure that God could really let something like that happen and, and be who he said he was.
1: I mean, that's powerful. And, um, you know, my brother has had that experience. He lost his son to so cancer right. when he was young. And, uh, You know, I said to him, is there a day that goes by you don't think of Bobby? And he said, no, every day. Mm -hmm. And I think people, again, you would think, given the uh, processing that you were doing, trying to figure out, Lord, these patients are dying. I don't know how to pray for them. Um, I'm a scientist. I mean, I could see that in you. You're very logical in your thinking. And then to have this happen, which turns everything upside down, the things you thought you knew, the things you thought you were resolving with God yeah. were right back in your face. Yeah. Did you have that moment? I mean, I tend to be more of an emotional person this way yeah. where I'd be saying, Lord, what are you doing? Yeah. Why this? Did you have that kind of moment? I did. Of course I did. Um,
2: and I think Lisa and I and all bereaved parents, I think you you, would, you couldn't be truthful if you said you didn't doubt God in some of those moments. Yeah. And I started going back to what I knew, which was reading the Bible every morning, having a process that I follow through, and I would read something and I wouldn't believe it at the same time. And I started feeling like that guy, Mark, that comes to Jesus and says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Mm-hmm. right? But somehow I knew that if there wasn't a resurrection, if the promise for the resurrection wasn't true, then I didn't have anything to hope for. Because it, the idea that I could see my son again someday was – enough for me to be able to put my pants on the next day and and try to go you know, make a cup of coffee and make that day happen. And one by one, every day, some little bit of grace would happen. Somebody would call at just the right time, or the verse of the day on Bible Gateway would pop up, and it would say, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, Psalm mm-hmm. thirty-four eighteen, yes. Or it would say something like that, and that verse where Paul says, if we don't have the hope for the resurrection, then we're to be pitied more than all men. And I would mm-hmm. say, yeah, that's right. I could see that. And so I, st- I had this one moment crystal clear moment I can see in my mind where I saw the promise that God says that all Scripture is true, another one that says it's impossible for God to lie. And so if those two things are true, then the hope of the resurrection has to be true too. And therefore, all those other promises have to be true. And I just decided, Lisa and I sat down one day, and we decided that we believed that. And we were going to start just pressing into it. And every day something happened, somebody called, something occurred, and it had just enough mana, just enough right. power to get through that day. And over as the days went by, it got better. It didn't go away like your brother with Bobby. It doesn't go away. But you start, the the, the light starts coming back on because you believe it's true. And then it starts showing you that it's true. Right. And that's what happened for us.
1: Well, and I hope that's the hope that people are hearing right now. Mm -hmm. Let me end here because this is the question. I mean, when you look at all this, what word of encouragement do you have for the people listening right now that are going through so much? They might have the prodigal child. They might have the tumor. They might have some other diagnosis that brings mortality right into focus for them. And maybe they haven't done the right thing, said the right things. Uh, perhaps they're not drug dealers, but maybe they haven't lived up to their spiritual potential in Christ. Man. What advice do you have for that person that's devastated and hasn't found the rails to run on?
2: Well, I would say this. it, it It doesn't matter what you do for a living or how much money you make or how much influence or power or status you have in in this life, because if your kid dies or if you find out you have a brain tumor, you're the same as everybody else in that moment. You're a broken human being. And the height from which you fall, if your life is built on all those things, on the, the need to have good circumstances or the need to have a high income or the need to have status or whatever then when you lose those things because your body doesn't work anymore or because you can't find your way to get to work because your child died and you can't put your pants on that day, you lose everything. So what I would say to people is those aren't the things that should define your life because they can be taken from you. The thing that should define your life is the fact that somebody loved you enough to die for you and that their real hope of your life is in is in what Jesus said would make your joy complete which is to trust in him because when those hard moments happen you will find that it's true that the lord is close to the brokenhearted and you will find that it's true someday that god can work things for good because he did for us i started writing and blogging and podcasting in 2014 as a way to communicate with my family and that sh- began to be shared around the world and all of that in my blog and podcast and stuff started becoming something we would hear from other people about. And in the years since we lost Mitch, two different people have written to me and said they didn't commit suicide because of something I wrote or said on my podcast. Mm, yeah. So so friend out there listening, your hope cannot be on things that, can, that you can lose or that can be taken from you. Mm. Your hope has to be in something that's beyond what you can see right now, and that's Jesus.
1: And something you said that caught me, we're all broken people. That's mm. the reality of this life. No one's going to live forever. Everybody's right. going to hit that uh, pit in the road, even if things are sailing al- along right now, mm. which makes that verse that you've uh, mentioned a couple of times so true that he's close to the brokenhearted. And I love the next mm. part. And saves those crushed in, in spirit. spirit. That's right. And that might be the whole purpose of what we walk through in this temporal life mm. so That's that right. we can have eternal life with him that's right man dr warren this has been fantastic i so appreciate the fact that you labored through the pain thank you emotional pain to write this book i've seen the end of you a neurosurgeon's look at faith doubt and the things we think we know um beautifully done and so full of great content to Mm -hmm. make us think about what this life is truly about it's been a privilege to have you here with us it's been an honor to be with you guys thank you
0: What a powerful conversation with Dr. Lee Warren. And uh, as we noted, this is one of the top programs of the past year on Focus on the Family. John, let me also add, uh, for you, the listener or the viewer,
1: if you're grappling with weighty issues about life and death and you don't know where to turn, uh, please give us a call. We have people, caring people to help you talk through this issue, whatever it is you're facing. And we've been doing this for over 40 years, so you're not going to surprise us, and we want to be here with you. Caring Christian Counselors will call you back and talk with you and give you some direction on what next steps you might be able to take. Um, We also have Dr. Warren's wonderful book, I've Seen the End of You. Uh, Let us know if we can send that to you. And if you can help do ministry throughout Canada, we'd appreciate your support with a gift of any amount. When you donate, by the end of the year, uh, your gift will be doubled because some generous friends of the ministry want to invest in the lives of others with you. Uh, They'll match your gift dollar for dollar. Thank you for partnering with us to
0: give families hope for the new year. We're a phone call away if you need that uh, free consultation with a counselor or wish to donate or get Dr. Warren's book. Our number is 800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY or stop by FocusOnTheFamily.ca to let us know how we can help. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. Plan to be with us next time as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.